Good morning, church family. Once again, we find ourselves in the unusual and uh, difficult circumstance of not being able uh, to assemble together in person. I, uh, it is really torn at my heart as to what to do, but when over uh, nearly half of us have encountered this uh, COVID-19 and are very sick, uh, I guess the safest thing to do for us right now is to worship apart from each other. So I hope that this morning uh, that you would pray, first of all, pray for your other fellow church members. Uh, they are in, many of our church members are in different stages of, of the diagnosis of COVID. Some are on the improving end, coming out of that, getting stronger every day. Others are in the middle and then uh, dealing with very dangerous type of situations. And then oh, some are early on, especially some of our younger uh, some, some younger children that have, that have come down and been diagnosed with COVID-19. So we ask you to pray for every one of them that they would be uh, strengthened and able to endure this and, and get a measure of health once again. And also uh, pray for our church. Pray that God would, uh, would use uh, this time to strengthen and grow our faith. And so and that's what I want to talk to you this morning and encourage your heart in the Lord. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, take them to Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse 13 through 16. And, and before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to share your word. Uh, God, even though that we are apart this morning, we pray that you would use the word of God as we preach it, as we explain it, to encourage and strengthen hearts. We pray for those that may be listening that are lost, Father. God, may this message from your word be an arrow straight to the heart and draw them to the Lord Jesus, convicting them of sin and bringing them to faith in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would help and nourish and encourage our members, the people that are devoted followers of the Lord Jesus in this location. Father, you'd strengthen them. Now bless your word. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Hebrews 11 and verse number 13, we'll read down through verse 16. And I want to speak to you this morning on homeless, but not hopeless. Homeless, but not hopeless. Uh, Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them and, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, and heavenly Wherefore God is not ashamed uh, to be called their God, for He hath prepared them a city. Homeless, but not hopeless. You know, when we think about homelessness, we, we, we remember that they occupy the corners of our city streets. You may see them from time to time as they make an appearance, maybe pushing a shopping cart inside or filled with grocery bags uh, that contain everything that they call their own. 
Homelessness in our country is an area of local, state, and national concern. And it should be a concern of all of society as a whole. The number of homeless people uh, grew dramatically in the 1980s with the a, with a early 80s with a deep downturn in the economy. And it was compounded in the late 2000s as more economic woes were experienced by our country. Currently, now although statistics vary greatly when it comes to homelessness, Conservatively, statistics estimate that there are over a half of a million sheltered and unsheltered homeless persons in this country nationwide. With other statistics indicating that there may well be 1.5 million homeless people in America. Each living a variety, in a variety of situations from emergency shelters to transitional housing programs to living on the streets in abandoned buildings and other places not meant for human habitation. Now, I do not want to make light of the, of the difficulties and the plight of those which are uh, financially uh, uh, homeless in our nation. But I do want to point out that there is another demographic of people who the Bible itself infers are homeless. They are people from every walk of life, from, from every educational background, every financial background in life. They are, uh, they are in small towns and rural areas, uh, as well as in large cities and metropolitan areas. These homeless people are most certainly among us in our very church. These homeless people are those that have become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who have been saved by the amazing matchless grace of God. They are homeless not in the fact that they do not have a home in this world, but they are homeless in the fact that this world is not their home. Now, this is a, the realization that the author of the book of Hebrews is trying to instill in the hearts of its Jewish leaders. Now, you must understand, in the writing of the book of Hebrews, his target audience, this audience was one in which the temple still stood in Jerusalem. A time period in which uh, the, the sacrificial worships were still taking place on the, uh, the holy mount there in Jerusalem, how that uh, all of the, uh, the annual festivities of, of the uh, gathering together of all of Israel, all the sacrifices and all the tributes were taking place and the, and the Passover being celebrated. All this was still happening when this letter was written. And this letter was written to the Jewish Christians or those who might be on the fence, who are, who are debating whether or not to follow the Lord Jesus or to continue on in the path of their Jewish tradition. And, and so uh, they, these people uh, that, are, uh, that are in this predicament, uh, the, 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 they were being drawn by the things that they could see. They're being drawn by the temple sacrifices and its ritual. Drawn by, uh, by the, the heritage, the legacy, uh, the, uh, the things that were handed down by, from generation to generation. Drawn by that outward law of conformity. 
And they are reminded in this letter that their fathers sought their whole lives for things that they could not see. They could not lay hold of. That is the pathos or the, or the, uh, the, the main theme of what we see in 13 through 16 is that there is a home that they could not lay a hold of while sojourning on this planet. You know, in reality, the Christian of today faces a similar temptation. We live in a world that seems to say that if it can't be parked in the driveway, if it can't be built on the corner lot, if it can't be deposited in the bank account, then it really doesn't matter. That the world's wealth and world's possession and world's status is what really is to gauge a, 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 a place in this world. Is, is, to, is to really be uh, to gauge and to tell uh, that if you don't have these things, then you're, you really don't count much in life at all. But those that have chosen to cast their lot with the crucified Christ no longer count this world and all of its riches dear to their heart. Our treasure is in heaven. On Wednesday night we've been talking about the Apostle Paul and how that he pressed forward and how that he, he tore up all that was his past, all of his prestige, all of the things that he gained in life from his notoriety to his education and pressed forward toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. That is the, uh, that is the, 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 the leading and driving thought of these believers, we like Abraham of old seek a city, seek an heavenly land whose builder and maker is God. You know, during most of my ministry, I have been involved in homeless work within a local rescue mission. And on countless occasions, I have heard and even sensed in their eyes hopelessness hopelessness, uh, that they are caught in a cycle of homeliness, homelessness. Well, this is where the comparison between the homeless and the Christian has to end. For we as a believers may be homeless, but we're not without hope. Our hope is what keeps us from driving our tent pegs deep into this world's wealth and its world's position and all of, the, all of the things that the world describes as that which really matter. It keeps us from digging our tent pegs deep into this world and pining after a world to come. We as believers may be homeless, but we are not hopeless. We have a hope that is more sure and solid than any treasure this world has to offer. Every one of us listening this morning can share in this hope, can have this hope renewed within our hearts by following three instructions that I want to give you this morning. So three instructions and we'll be done. Number one, I want you to see first of all, we must experience the persuasion of faith. Look at verse number 13. These all died in the faith. What is he referring to? Well, he is referring to uh, these in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, these great past uh, uh, patriarchs that have done great things by faith. It says in verse 13, almost in summary, These all died in the faith, having not received the promises, 
but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them. Many of you have no doubt seen those folks walking down the highway with various signs asking for a ride like Florida or bust or something like that or trying to get a ride somewhere. I heard of a hitchhiker who put on his sign Ruth 116. It said, whether thou goest, I will go. You know, that's one way of doing it. Well, the men referred to in verse number 13 were men that had truly been persuaded to follow the unseen God wherever He led. Notice, first of all, I want you to see a divinely revealed faith. A divinely revealed faith. As I said earlier, Hebrews chapter number 11 is filled with all of the heroes of of the Jewish tradition, followers of God in the in the in the Judaic uh, the Judaic uh, uh, lineage of faith, uh, Hebrews eleven oftentimes is referred to as the a Hebrew Hall of Fame. It's a list of men and women whose faith in God emboldened their spirits uh, emboldened their spirits to do great things for God. And the author is including this to encourage those Christians in his own hour. That's why he's writing this letter. He is drawing a comparison between they themselves who have left a land, who have left the traditions, who have left the temple, who have left the shadows and embraced the substance. He is trying to make comparison between them and the patriarchs who did very much the same thing. But in this case... Faith in God is not, uh, is not some inner virtue that began to manifest on its own. It was because the God of heaven had revealed Himself to them. Go back in verse 13. All these died in the faith, having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them. You know, it was God that had revealed Himself to them. These men were confronted with the promises of God and they threw in to a God that had, that had uh, initiated uh, faith in them, who had, who had initiated, who had, who had brought a path across theirs and confronted them. It was God that revealed Himself to Abel, to Enoch, to Noah. It was God who came to Abraham and called him into a land that he knew nothing about. In each case, God is the initiator. As we saw a while back in Saul of Tarsus, God was the initiator in Saul of Tarsus' life who would become the Apostle Paul. It was like God was standing in the middle of the road as he went down toward Damascus. God is the initiator. God is working in our lives. You see, man is not searching for God. Romans 3.11 tells us plainly, there is none that seek after God. I know, I know in many cases there are those that, uh, that want to uh, that minister to and try to uh, reach out to the seeker. You know, why years ago it was called the seeker-sensitive movement. But those seekers are not in reality looking for God Himself because no man searches for God on His own. 
They may be seeking a God to suit themselves. Saul of Tarsus was seeking to please a God that he had imagined in his mind through, through the traditions of the Pharisees. He was thinking he was pleasing that God. No man seeks after the one true God. If you are going to live beyond this temporal world around us, God will have to be the initiator. It was God that initiated with these men in Hebrews chapter 11. It was God the one that drew them unto Himself. And we see that all throughout Scripture. It is God that comes after us. God seeks after us. God reveals to us our condition. John 6.44 tells us that no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. You don't have faith within your heart that needs to be fanned in a flame. No, you are blind as a bat spiritually and God has to intervene. Man is blinded by sin, bound by corruption, brutalized by the adversary Satan. And unless God reveals to us our condition, we will stay right where we are, walking along the precipice of an eternal judgment of God in a burning hell. Unless God come to us, and I ask you this, The most essential fact in knowing that we have a hope beyond this life is this. Has God, has the God of heaven divinely revealed Himself to you? For it is the very inception of faith that comes to Him. I'm not talking about a glowing glowing golden presence in your room as you fall down before uh, the, the, the manifest presence of God. But I am saying this, that there is a God of heaven who invades our thoughts. Jesus told Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, how, how long would thou kick against the pricks? How long? God was initiating God was doing something in his life. The same is true with these people in Hebrews 11. I wonder, has God invaded your life? Before there'll ever be a hope for heaven, there must be the initiation of God. Notice secondly, not only a divinely revealed faith, but a personally embraced faith. These all died in the faith, having received the promises. God initiated those promises. But having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. They saw the promises of God afar off and were persuaded of them. They were convinced of them. That is true with every person that has experienced genuine saving faith. God initiates. God comes. And there is an ultimatum of repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. With the promise of eternal life for all who believe. I'm not saying that the reason to come to Jesus Christ in saving faith is because uh, because of the lure of the hope of heaven. We should come to Jesus Christ because of who He is and what He's done and how that He has been risen from the grave. But part and parcel with that is the hope of everlasting life. He defeated death. That's what the resurrection says to us. And He is going to prepare a home for us. 
We were persuaded, if you're saved today, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ in saving faith, then you are persuaded of that promise. And like these of old, and like the patriarchs of old, you embraced it. You wrapped your arms around the cross, claiming Him as your own. Both arms, with both arms, we personally laid hold of the promise of eternal life to all who would believe. That is genuine faith. And it is cause for hope beyond this world. The sad truth is is that I believe for many, God has revealed Himself. He has extended His divine hand. He's revealed His gospel. He's made Christ known. And yet many have not received Him as Lord and Savior. Listen, listen to me very closely. We live in a world today where death is knocking on every heart. I am am floored by the number of obituaries that are on my social media. Obituaries of young people in their 30s and in their 40s. Death surrounds us every day. I wonder, do you have this hope? There's only one hope of eternal life. Jesus made it plain. He is the fulcrum. He is the center between eternal life and eternal death. What you do with Jesus determines your eternal destiny. These believe. They wholeheartedly embrace. They threw their arms around the hope of the Gospel. We must, If we are going to have a hope in our homeless sojourning state, then we must experience the persuasion of faith. Have you been persuaded of them? March the 20th, 1994, as a 21-year-old college student, my heart was persuaded by the promise of the Gospel, the promise of the forgiveness of sin, the promise of a heavenly home, the promise was of, of a Savior that would come in and change my life and make me acceptable before a holy God. Persuaded of that promise. Notice second of all, second instruction, not only experience the persuasion of faith, but express the pronouncement of faith. Once they responded in faith to the revelation of God, something drastically happened. They ceased to be naturalized citizens of this country, of this world, but became supernaturalized citizens of a country to come. Look with me in verse number 15. said that these were persuaded of them, embraced them, talking about those promises and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse 13 describes them as strangers. The word literally means away from home. At one moment they were at home. At war, at home in this world, they knew everything. Uh, everything that their life contained was tied to this world. From one moment, they went from away from home to then. It says pilgrims. They were strangers and pilgrims. What does pilgrims mean? Going home. <laughs> they were at home. Then they were away from home, and then they were going home. You see, they confess this. They no longer live in this world. 
This world, as the old song says, this world was not their home. They were just a passing through. They made pronouncement to all those around them that they may be in this world, but they are not of this world. After responding to and living uh, to the living God, their life made a drastic change. A change and reversal of priorities. The priorities of those nailed down to this present evil world is get all you can and can all you get. Whoever has the most toys when they die, it wins. But their whole value system was changed. And Abraham became a man that sought for an heavenly city. Things that lie far beyond this life. Notice, it was a life of no return. Look at verse 15. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. There was a life, theirs was a life of no return. Verse 15 tells us that if their mind had been set upon that previous country, that world in which they were leaving, if they were constantly pulled back and reminded to that country, to back to that old life, in reality, they more than likely would have turned and went back to that life. I am reminded of Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan, the great uh, preacher, wrote Pilgrim's Progress on little, little scraps of paper while he was in prison telling of a man named Pilgrim, who, a Christian who had left the city of destruction and he, he, he w- was joined by uh, another to leave that city. And when the road got rocky, uh, Christian continued on, but there were some that said, I'll just go back to that city of destruction here here was uh, this promise. This is being depicted for us in verse number 15. The Jews of that day were tempted to do the same thing, to return. The book of Hebrews is an open letter. It was written specifically, like I said early in the introduction, written specifically to those Hebrews in the first century, debating on or all together come to Jesus Christ. And in that first century, it was before 70 A.D., before the destruction of the temple, because every Jew was considering, that was considering the claims of Jesus of Nazareth had overshadowing them the shadow of the temple, the gleaming monument to their tradition going back thousands of years. It constantly pulled and tugged at their heart. To receive Christ as Savior did not mean a pat on the back, but would mean the loss of everything. Uh, they, uh, they would lose their family, their employment, their place in society. And instead of worshiping in that magnificent temple and all, all of the heart-swelling pride of being a part of that great heritage of the Jewish faith, millions uh, with millions of others of Jews, these Christian Jews would be forced to worship in caves and back alleys and homes with handfuls of other believers. No wonder that temple pulled at their heart. That former country pulled at them. They being pulled back to the shadows 
of the Gospel and forsake the substance of the Gospel. The promise that God had revealed to them. The Hebrew author is making a comparison between them and the patriarchs of old who did not turn back. That's what he means in verse 15. These had the same pull if they had constantly set their mind on what they left behind, they would have surely gone back. But they didn't. They had a vision toward the heavens. I believe uh, this is setting up uh, for Hebrews chapter number 12 where they're looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. But these, uh, these in, the, in, the, in their past, in, this, in their patriarchs, were, were not minded of that, but kept their eyes on the promise that God had revealed to them. The Hebrew author is making a comparison between them and the patriarchs of old who did not turn back, but kept their eyes on that land to come. In the book of Romans, Paul calls us not to return back to sin. Romans 6, 2, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You need to make sure that you have it in your mind that that old, that old life, that old life that you left behind is a life of sin that we should have, that our Savior died for, that we should have no part of it. Burn the bridge. No turning back. Set a nuclear bomb off in the bridge and let it be done with. No turning back to the old country. Let it be gone. Burn the bridge. It should be the song of the heart of every Christian. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. Because that's the mind of the patriarchs. And should be the mind of the first century Jew. And should be the mind of the 21st century Jew. No turning back. No turning back. A life of no return. A life of new realities. Look at verse 14. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Go back into verse 16. But now... They desire a better country, for 14 and 16 related. The better country, that is an heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. John Phillips said in his commentary, the patriarchs were characterized by two objects, a tent and an altar. With the tent, they confessed their attitude toward this world. They would not let its attractions bind, blind them to spiritual realities. And with an altar, they confess their relationship to the world to come. They were believers. The tent and the altar. These that had believed in the invisible God were no longer settled and satisfied with this world. They lived for new realities beyond this realm. Although God had promised them an earthly land called Canaan. And I believe that land will once again be occupied by the Jewish nation. I do believe that. But, the, but I, a land that could not be compared. Uh, 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 they, were, they were promised a, a Canaan land. But, rea but, but in reality, the la reality lay beyond this earth but in a heavenly country, a land that they cannot be compared to see what is before us today. 
in heavenly land. Heaven comes into this in verse 16, and heavenly land. It goes far beyond boundaries in the Middle East. It goes into a heavenly country. There's where it applies to all of us that come to faith in Jesus Christ. And heavenly land. Once, uh, once a person gets a vision of heaven, the best of earthly prospects go dim. The word desire. Look at verse number 16. But now they desire a better country. That is an heavenly. That word desire. It's a word that literally means stretched out hands. He's saying these patriarchs that died in faith, they stretched out their hands to a better country, a better world. A world where God would reside with them, where God is not ashamed to be called their God. The picture is that of a man with arms outstretched yearning for his homeland. You and I need to realize that this world is, is not the end of the story. Many of us who have been ill and sick and dogged with disease, we sometimes get low, we sometimes get fearful of, of losing this temporal life and the impact upon our loved ones. But child of God, raise your head, lift your eyes to an heavenly land. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, if He has revealed His promises and you have left the old country behind, your destination is not a grave. Your destination is a heavenly Land, a heavenly land. Your redemption draweth nigh. Notice lastly and finally, expect the preparation of faith. Expect the preparation of faith. Look at verse number 16 again. But now they desire a better country. That is an heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. They and we alike desire a better country that is an heavenly land. Jesus tells us in John 14, 1 through 3, he made it clear that about this preparation. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. Our Lord Jesus, our, our heavenly groomsman is preparing a home for us in heaven. Notice, when we talk about this preparation, I want you to see also a pleased Father. Notice in verse number 16, Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. I want you to notice a pleased Father. Verse 16 tells us that God is not ashamed to be called their God. All over the world tonight, there are devoted people who are trying their best to please God. They are, given, they are giving expensive sacrifices and suffering great loss in order to please God. And there is no acceptance found for them with God. God lays no claim over their lives and finds no pleasure in them. No matter how sincere they are. Why? 
Because the only one that He's ever been satisfied in, the only one that is well-pleasing to the Father is the Son, Jesus Christ. And all they that are in Him find God's satisfaction. But those who have come by the way of the cross, yes, you, child of God, you with all your mishaps and your mess-ups, you and all your lukewarmness and ups and downs and spiritual problems, you, by Jesus Christ, are able to please God. I'm able to please God because I am in Jesus Christ. He is not ashamed. Not ashamed to be called your God. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 16. Ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God lays special and loving claim to the lives of those that have believed on the Lord Jesus and will do so until we make our way into that heavenly land. A pleased Father. Then also a permanent future. Notice what He says in verse 16. For He hath prepared for them a city. I know when you get to talking about heaven, that some may scoff and say, oh, you Christians, good night. You're just a bunch of dreamers. You're just a bunch of pie in the sky, by and by, when you die kind of folks. But that is exactly what the eyes of our forefathers of faith had their gaze squarely set on. And the heavenly city. Again, remember, he is speaking of the patriarchs. Not just the believers on the Lord Jesus in the dispensation of grace, the time period of the gospel, but before that, these were ones that sought a city yet to come. Their eyes of our forefathers of the faith had them squarely set on a heavenly city. I remember in going to a church on this very mountain, Straightway Baptist Church as a child, and them singing, singing in that choir, I'm looking for a city where we'll never die, where the sainted millions never say goodbye. There we'll meet our Savior and our loved ones too. Come, O Holy Spirit, all our hopes renew. There is an heavenly city. Let that give you hope today. Hope beyond this life. I tell you, I may not feel at home in this world. You may not feel at home in this world. But we that have put our faith and trust in Jesus have hope beyond this world. My Lord Jesus is preparing a home for me and one day He'll welcome me and I will see the nail-pierced hands and feed. I will bow before Him on His throne and I will abode with Him for all eternity. One day I'll arrive in that heavenly land and I will, as Paul said, I will know Him even as I am known. I'll be with Him. Never to be departed. I'm often reminded of that song, Sweet Hour of Prayer. 
talks about the solemnity and beauty of praying with God. But that final verse, that final verse is a reminder from Mount Pisgah's lofty heights. I'll, I'll drop this robe of flesh and take my flight. Goodbye, goodbye, sweet hour of prayer. Why? Because there'll be no more praying at a distance. I will see Him face to face. I will look upon Him and speak as a man speaks to his friend. I will be with Him. Never to be separated at a distance. Never to cry from the great distance of this earth. I will be with Him. To close, Joseph Parker was a great preacher of a bygone day, and he had some guests in his home that were uh, telling of a recent visit to the Holy Land. They were telling him all the wondrous things they saw, like the, the empty sepulcher and Golgotha's brow and Bethany just outside Jerusalem and the Temple Mount and all of the wondrous things they saw in the Holy Land. Joseph Parker began to tear up. And they initially guessed that that he is, has a longing to see such things and to go to such places. And when they inquired what uh, the cause of his tears, he took his finger and pointed to heaven and said, "That is my holy land. You may never meet, the, you may never get the chance to go to the holy land in Israel, but child of God, there is a holy land above us, just beyond this veil of tears, and we will be there with our Savior." one day. I ask you, before you ever have a hope in heaven, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you known Him as Savior and Lord? Has God instigated, initiated in your life, revealed His promises? More than that, have you embraced those promises, becoming a sojourner in this world, turning in your identity of this world with an identity, possessing identity that is not of this world? I wonder if you come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you have, child of God, lift up your head. Child of God, redemption draweth nigh. Oh, listen, the, uh, the clutches of death hold nothing on us. We, 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 we that are here in this life, if we breathe our last, we will be absent from this body and instantly present with the Lord. Listen, Put your faith and trust in Jesus before it's too late. Call on Him while He is near. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, love You. Thank You for the Lord Jesus. Thank You for the Gospel. Father, I pray that You would speak to hearts and encourage our people, many of whom are very, very sick. God, give them strength. God, enable them to put um, one foot in front of the other and continue on because to live is Christ. To die may be gain. And that's been our focus. The gain of eternal life. But to live is Christ. Oh God, let us prolong our days so that we might make Jesus known. We might live for Him, love Him, serve Him. But God, I pray that those that are sick would be reminded of the sweetness of the land to come. Father, we pray for souls to be saved, to come to You in saving faith. Father, bless, heal, strengthen our church. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.
want to remind you, church family, to make sure that you stay tuned either to our Facebook page on social media. It is there where we'll post different announcements concerning changes in our schedule and also on our website. Go to our website and get in on our email system, our email. Just, just put your email address in there. That way we'll have it. We can email you directly as to any kind of schedule changes about Wednesday still up in the air. I'm going to be calling some of our people, seeing how they're doing. Uh, hopefully, by Lord's Day, we've been apart for long enough to where we can have some confidence coming back together. And hopefully, the following Sunday, next Sunday, we'll gather together again. So be praying for that, that we would be able to, to, uh, to gather together again in person. But until then, stay attuned to... Uh, these uh, outlets where we will post these kind of things. We'll post it on our website. There's a place on our website on the front page you click on. We'll go to uh, any kind of scheduling changes. Make sure you go there and check on our Wednesday night Bible study. I encourage you, if you don't have a, you're watching and you don't have a church home, I encourage you to come study the Bible with us on Wednesday night. It's a very unpretentious. We sit down at a table, open the Bible. I have a few notes and we, we go down. Right now we're in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number 3, just making our way through that, learning something about having joy in difficult times. And so you come be with us on Wednesday again. Check with those locations to make sure we haven't changed our schedule. But uh, until then, God bless you. We'll see you, Lord willing, next week.